but let's get into the message. Uh, the, the, the series that we're doing is called Find Freedom. But before we get into the, ser- the message, let's uh, do the declaration together. So repeat these words after me. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, cool. Um, Find freedom. That's the name of the series. Week one, we talked about what is freedom. We talked about freedom uh, that that is legislated and, and given by man versus what comes from God and how they're, they're very different. It's important that we don't confuse freedom that we get uh, from government or things like that from things that we get, uh, freedom that we get from God, which is a way more powerful, way more eternal freedom, and that needs to be our focus as believers. Uh, number two, the second week was the fine print of freedom and how no matter what freedom you are experiencing, it is under the power of a master. So even as Christians who are free in Christ, we are still under the lordship of Christ. So we're still uh, serving a master. And the option is just which master are you going to serve? No matter who we are, we have a master. It's either sin or it's Christ. And and the, the Christ masters is a way better uh, master for our lives. So even even as free people in Christ, we are still submitted to the will of God. And that's, uh, I really enjoy teaching that one. Last week was called the uh, life without hindrance. And we talked about how Jesus removes hindrances from our lives so that we can live freely. Uh, this week is, is simple. It's called Jesus sets captives free. Jesus sets captives free is the message for today. And uh, really, that's the message. Jesus sets captives free. Uh, It's a simple message. It really is enough to say and leave. But the reason why I'm going to spend the next bit talking about it is because I sense, um, I don't want to use the word fear because, because I'm not afraid, but I do sense and I am concerned that we've reached a point in our church, in this generation where it's difficult to take that statement at face value. It's difficult to hear Jesus sets the captives free and that be enough. There's, there's some complications that have come. There are some difficulties that have, that have come in our lives, in our hearts, in our society, um, in our history that has made it more difficult to accept that statement at face value, that Jesus sets captives free. Um, I do want to give a plug for a particular life group that we are launching in September. Uh, We've had ministries centered around this for for years. Uh, Really before Nashville Life existed as a church, we had a freedom ministry called uh, DMS. DMS was the class that really started this church and where people who were Christians but still had areas of bondage and oppression in their lives, and they were receiving freedom from those things, and it changed so many lives, it changed mine, and it started our church. And then we moved into uh, a season where we were doing Encounter, Encounter, and it was called Life Class, and there was a weekend called Encounter, and that did the same thing. It took believers 
who still had areas of bondage and captivity in their lives and administer to those areas so you left way more free, way more liberated, way more equipped for life with Jesus. Um, we are launching what we're going to call freedom. Freedom, we figure we just call it something that's really what it's about. Freedom is a life group that we are offering, and it's going to be similar to the other ones where we minister freedom to believers, areas of your heart, areas of your life. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're still struggling with an addiction. Maybe there's some, still some trauma or some unforgiveness in your life or just areas. Honestly, maybe you can't even pinpoint what it is. Maybe there's just you feel stuck. You really want something to break in your life. You want breakthrough in your life. This class and this group is going to offer that. So sign up for it starting August 15th if you want to experience more freedom in your life with Jesus. But uh, that was just a plug. Since we're on Find Freedom, I was like, I need to let everybody know that there's a freedom group that is starting in September, and we would love to have you. Um, but let's get back to it. Jesus sets the captives free. Um, I talked about difficulties and why it's hard for us to receive that, um, and it's become much more of a complicated topic in our day and age, and I just want to uncover some of those difficulties. So first, let me just read 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, and I refer to this scripture a lot because it's so, it's so where we are right now, and it always amazes me every time I read it, but it says, but understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having, an, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then it says, avoid such people. <laughs> and I was like, man, if we obeyed that scripture, we probably had to avoid ourselves. Um, because so many of us have aspects of that person or those descriptions in our lives. And the one that I really, that one that scares me the most or kind of wakes me up the most is, is the last one, having a form of godliness. And I think the reason why that one is the toughest to, to hear and is because it's, it's the kind of, it's the least overt of all the other ones. All the other ones can seem like, oh, yeah, like we tend to still subscribe to like bad people look like bad people. And good guys look like good guys. Like, no matter how much we've gone through in life, we still subscribe to this idea that, that there's bad people and there's good people and the bad people look like this and they're all mean acting and the nice people are smiling. And, and to me, that last description shows a person that actually has the form of godliness. They've got the values. They've got the mannerisms. They've got the be even some of the behaviors. But if you look into or if you get to know them and, and with time, it shows that, that in their heart there is a denial of God's power. And that is the person, I believe, that the church is most vulnerable of becoming. And that's the people who, who we know the songs and we lift our hands and we know how to do church and we know how to serve and we know how to do all the outward things. But if you actually look behind the curtain, there is a denial of God's power. And Paul 
groups those people with all the other descriptions saying avoid, avoid them. And I just, I don't want us to be people that Paul would say avoid. I don't want to be a person that uh, God would advise you to avoid. I, I, I want us to be people that we are supposed to, God wants us to connect with people. God wants us in people's lives. And I think we have to address this, this trait of, of having a form but also denying the power. And it's very subtle. Um, Jesus sets the captives free. I'll use that as an example. Um, it would be way too overtly ungodly and unchristian for someone to say, or for any of us to say, Jesus doesn't set captives free. That would be too uh, unchristian. Um, but I've learned that over the years that a way that we can still express the same sentiment but in a more godly way is to say, Jesus sets the captives free, but it's not that simple. It's not that simple. I've learned has become an increasing uh, popular caveat in addition to the simple statement of Jesus sets captives free. And the more and more I feel like my generation, the generation after me, and it's even starting to affect generations before me, and you're starting to hear uh, it's not that simple, and, you, and there's a pushback to the simplicity that Jesus sets captives free. And I want to talk about uh, the danger in, in robbing that statement of the simplicity that it's supposed to have. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul said, I'm getting nervous that the same way the serpent deceived Eve, that you are being deceived out of the simplicity that is in Christ. I've said it before, following Jesus might not be easy, but it is simple. And we have to make sure that we protect the simplicity that is in Christ. Because anytime some, the truth is simple. Jesus sets captives free. Simple statement. No ifs, no ands, no buts. He does that. He's been doing that from the beginning, and he's going to do it until the end. But... If we corrupt it and make it something more complicated, then we actually distort the truth, and it becomes not the truth at all. The pushback isn't that Jesus sets captives free. The pushback is that it, the simplicity of that statement. When I say that it's simple, that's when I sense that the church currently pushes back. And there's a couple of reasons. One is knowledge. Knowledge um, or educational development. And before I go any further, I want to say I'm not promoting an uneducated, ignorant, illiterate Christian. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should not be knowledgeable. I'm not saying that we should not uh, do research and, and learn the developments and, and uncover things that exist in science and all of that. I'm not downing any of it, but there's a reason why the scripture says 
that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And the reason why I say that is because, well, knowledge is in the same category as other things uh, that I'm going to talk about. The scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Basically, the first level of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And that is God exists. He can do all things. He has all power. He says that's the entry point to knowledge. That's the entry point to wisdom. Some translations say knowledge. Some translations say wisdom. The 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 entry point to knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And then everything you learn needs to be on top of that. And the danger of not letting your entry point in knowledge being the fear of the Lord is the knowledge then becomes corrupt and then ends up becoming a, a threat in competition to what you know of God to be. Um, we see this as well in money. I've learned that anything that we can build our lives with, the Lord is not against it. He just says he needs to be first if you want to keep those things blessings in your life. There's a reason why tithing is the first fruits. Because God is not anti your wealth, but if you don't set it first with this is God, then everything that you build on top of that will become corrupt in your life. Same with knowledge. God is not anti us getting as smart as we possibly can, but he says the first step of knowledge needs to be God is everything. He can do all things. He created all things. He can stop all things. He is all things. And then learn on top of that. And if you don't set first with the fear of the Lord, then all of the knowledge that you spend time and money on learning will actually be a hindrance to your belief opposed to a blessing and an asset to your belief. So with anything, money, knowledge, you name it, what the, the foundation is what determines the integrity of everything you build on top of it. So for knowledge, when we don't make the beginning the fear of the Lord, then it becomes something else where Scripture says it puffs up. It actually makes us arrogant, and it actually makes us more vulnerable to unbelief. It makes believing harder. It makes believing in God harder. If you don't set the tone with the entry point of my knowledge is the fear of the Lord, then everything that you learn will be a hindrance to believing in God. And we see it happen all the time. We, we get too smart to believe in God. We get too educated to believe in God. And we have to make sure that while we pursue knowledge and pursue education and pursue research that it never negates the foundational knowledge, and that is, I fear God. I acknowledge his presence, his power in my life. The second thing that contributes to the simplicity uh, of Jesus sets the captives free not being simple anymore is hopelessness. It takes hope to believe that Jesus sets the captives free. It, set, it takes hope to pursue Jesus wanting your, your burdens lifted. And by the way, I meant to say this sooner. When I say set the captives free, I mean from oppression. Any kind of oppression, literally anything that weighs you down and hinders you from running the race that God has set before you. So it can be physical oppression like sickness. It can be mental oppression. It can be emotional oppression. It can be financial oppression. It can be uh, spiritual oppression. Anything that is oppressive to your life, 
When I say Jesus sets the captives free, I'm talking about whatever that thing is. So just so you know, in case you ever, like, why is he saying set the captives free? I'm talking about from any oppressive area in your life. Jesus sets you free from that. And sometimes we can become hopeless. And hopeless is really the same thing as unbelief, just so you guys know. Hopeless sounds more Christian than unbelief. It's easy. It sounds better to say I lost hope than it does to say I stopped believing. <laughs> but ultimately, like, that's, that's the language. It's a lot more palatable to say I was just feeling hopeless opposed to I was just feeling like I had no belief. Um, but they, they, they produce the same thing. If you plant hopelessness and you plant uh, unbelief, the trees look exactly the same. Um, so just so you know, hopelessness is basically the, the pretty cousin of unbelief. Um, but, but, but hopelessness produces two things. Um, I believe when you're hopeless, you, you kind of go one, one, one way or the other. Both are bad. One is despair. And that's when you give up. And so often we know more increasing stories of people who give up. And giving up can literally be taking your life. Giving up could just mean accepting defeat and just kind of just living a purpose, purposeless life. Um, despair is, is, is so unfortunate. And I pray that none of us reach that place. None of us. Despair is, is basically accepting defeat and just rolling over. Um, and the second one, I was trying to think of what to call this. I, was came, I, I came up with the word delusion, um, but delusion is also, I mean, it can be argued that despair is delusion too because you create a reality where there's no hope. Delusion is basically creating a reality, a false reality. And I think I've learned that when you really don't believe that things can get better and that you cannot do better than what you're currently doing, this weird thing happens where you actually start to justify it if you don't believe that things can actually be better for your life, instead of putting energy towards believing and hoping and wishing that it's going to turn around, you learn to kind of justify it, accept it, and then you start turning to this thing where you almost start celebrating it, and then it becomes the thing where you start protecting it, and the very thing that one year you were wanting to be freed from, you've now become someone that you've accepted it so much to where you're now flaunting it, and now you're celebrating it, and you're protective of it. The very thing that years ago you wanted to be free from, now, now you're celebrating. And I believe the root of that is hopelessness. If you are hopeless, it drives you to thinking, well, since there's no way out of this, I might as well make the best of it. And you create a delusional life where you would rather live in despair and live, 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 in, uh, live in this false reality than to accept the reality that, you shouldn't be where you are. You can get out of where you are, and there's a, there's a way out. Does that make sense? Almost like, you know, let's say your arm is broken, and you don't think that anybody can help you. Like, there's no doctors around. You don't know how to fix it. And you basically start, you know, the, 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 the delusion I'm describing is the person that's like, well, maybe my arm isn't broken. Maybe God wants my arm to be like this. Maybe, and then, and the thing, about happen, the thing that happens about delusion is when Jesus actually, when you hear the news that the balm of Gilead is coming and Jesus is coming to set people free, you don't even get up 
and, and get the healing because you have basically convinced yourself that you're supposed to stay this way. So when you hear Jesus sets the captives free, it goes over your head because you don't even see yourself as a captive anymore. You see yourself as this is the way I'm supposed to be. My eyes are supposed to be blind. My ears are supposed to be deaf. And we, we, we end up creating a reality that it's supposed to be this way. And, and the, the danger of that is when Jesus actually wants to bring freedom to you in that area, you don't even go to receive it because you don't think it's for you. I'm trying to get, bring reasons why when you hear Jesus sets the captives free, it's not a simple statement that you can receive. So, whenever you see this, you got to ask yourself some questions. Jesus sets captives free. My prayer is that all of us are set free, because that's why Jesus came. He says, I am, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to liberate people. I'm co I've come to break bondages. And the issue isn't that Jesus can't do it. The issue is that the difficulties that 2 Timothy describes has caused us to be unreceptive to what he wants to offer because of the uh, constructs and the, the mental patterns that we've developed. So, every time someone hears Jesus sets captives free, they have to think, first of all, in terms of relevance. Is this relevant to me? You have to ask yourself, when you hear that statement, is it relevant to me? Uh, how many of you guys have seen, like, pop-up ads and things come up on, you know, online? It's like, is this relevant to me? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not a diabetic, you know, so if I see you know, an ad about diabetes, I'm like, well, this isn't relevant to me, so, like, I X out of it, you know, or if I see, you know, an ad for uh, geriatric support, I'm like, that's not relevant to me, you know, certain ads and certain appeals aren't relevant to us based off of our lives, so when we see Jesus sets the captives free, is there anything in you that goes, that's relevant to me, or... Are you Xing out of it like you would over an ad that has nothing to do with you? And if you want to know if something is relevant to you, you got to ask yourself these three questions, and then, and then I'm done. First one is need. Do I need to be set free? If you don't believe that you need to be set free, then the statement Jesus sets captives free is irrelevant to you. We see Jesus describe this in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you don't believe that you are sick or have any sickness in your life, then when the physician comes... You have no need for the physician. And Jesus was being a little bit facetious here because he knew that they were sinners. But it doesn't matter if Jesus knows that you're a sinner. If you don't know you're a sinner, you can't reap the benefits of the physician. It doesn't matter that Jesus knows you need to be set free from X, Y, and Z. If you don't know it, you can't reap the benefits of the one who sets you free. So Jesus sees, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our conditions. He knows all the conditions that are in this room. The issue is that sometimes we don't. So I'm asking you to ask yourself, 
Is this relevant to me? Jesus sets the captives free. Do I need to be set free from anything? Number two, want. Do I want to be set free? There is the person, believe it or not, who knows they need to be set free but doesn't want to be. And in case you're curious on how this can be, I want to introduce you or remind you of a word called comfort. If you desire comfort too much, then you'll actually let your desire for comfort overtake your desire for freedom. We can't let our want for comfort be stronger than our desire to be free. Let me explain to you guys that freedom is actually harder in a lot of ways than being captive. And let me explain. It's also more uncomfortable. Captives, if you think about captives in terms of a, an inmate, captives have their meals provided for them every day. It might be gross, but at least you know I'm going to be fed. They have their room and board prepared. It might be super small, but at least I know that it's always going to be there. They have their day planned for them. They, they don't have to think very much about what happens for their day because everything is decided for them. And as unfavorable as those conditions are, time shows that you can develop a comfort for it because at least you know it's going to be there. Human beings, we're huge on security. As long as I know that something's going to be there, I'd rather be secure than to be free. Free people have more decisions to make. Free people have more to steward. Free people have more expected of them. Free people have to be self-motivated more than captives do. And it's human nature. We have to be careful, guys, that we do not let the fear, because Scripture says too much is given, much is required. So when you're free, there's expectations on your life that if you don't want those, you can actually manipulate your life to where you stay bound just to avoid the responsibilities that come with a free man. We see this with Israel. Israel verbatim said, we should go back to being slaves. It's a thing. Human beings, when we are liberated, we have more expected of us, more responsible for it. Gets, it gets scarier because there's a lot of more unknowns in freedom. Then in captivity, when you're a captive, you know what it's going to be. I know my drill. Tuesday, I'm going to do this. Wednesday, I'm going to do this. And as sick as it is, there can be a comfort to that rhythm. Human beings love rhythms, even if they're gross, even if they're bad rhythms. Rhythm can be sometimes uh, very much appreciated, and freedom is, is unknown. It's like, man, I've never been here before. You know, being a new creation in Christ can be scary sometimes. Because it's new. I don't, when you're new to a city, you don't know where the Walmart is. You don't know where the gas station is. You don't know, you don't know things when you're a new creation. Everything is new. And that's what happened with the Israelites. It was, it was freedom, but it was new. They spent 400 years as slaves. They had built, a, talk about rhythm. And they get free, and it's like, oh, man, this is uncomfortable. 
Maybe we should go back, and so often that happens with us, guys. It can actually get, your love for comfort can actually uh, interrupt and, and hinder your love for freedom. I knew someone that actually didn't want to, he rejected a higher paying job because he was afraid that if he made more money, he wouldn't be able to get the assistance that he was getting from the government. And he actually got a job that was going to pay him more money, but he was so scared to depart from having that, that regular comfort help that he actually rejected a promotion. One of the guys at church gave him a great job. I mean, it was going to be great, but he was like, I just don't, I've just been used to having to need and be, and he actually rejected more money, more opportunities. More opportunities was scarier to him than, than not having that secure comfort of money that he wasn't even working for. It's a thing. It's a legitimate question. Do I want freedom? Another thing, too, is uh, I'll call them like e emotional addictions. And I, that, wear that title loosely. The explanation makes more sense. Um, depending on your emotional needs, depending on the deficit you have in, your, in that area of your life, we have to be careful to not get addicted to the high that comes with the increased amount of empathy and attention when you are in a broken place. Some of our greatest memories in this room, some of us, the greatest memories we have of getting that, that the emotional investment that we crave was when we were in a bad place. And subconsciously, and I choose to say subconsciously because it's too sinister for me to imply that it's on purpose, even though for some people I know it is on purpose, but I'm just going to assume that everybody here, it's subconsciously and unconsciously and unintentionally, we manipulate our lives to where we try to stay in the broken place because that's where I get that heightened love and empathy. The hugs are more. I get I get food sent to my house more. Things people are doing more things for me. And and man, if I actually get better, I might not get this anymore. And we actually end up manipulating our lives to where we stay chasing that heightened empathy, emotional connection that we get when we are broken. When I grew up, when I got sick, I got to. Uh, I had a stomach virus or a, or a flu. I was in, you know, elementary school, middle school. <sighs> you know, I feel legitimately bad. But on those sick days, my mom would, like, make soup, grilled cheese. I'd had ginger ale or Gatorade next to my, I mean, first-class service. I got to watch the prices, right? <laughs> and yes, I was sick, but man, it came with some nice service. And I actually wanted to get better because I was sick. You know, I don't like throwing up. I don't like that stuff. I, don't, I wanted to be well. 
And the issue is, once I recovered, that service <laughs> turned into a yell from downstairs, hurry up, get downstairs, we're leaving in 20 minutes to go to school. I got to make my own cereal. I got to get dressed on my own. I got to get out of bed, even if I'm tired, and I got to go to school. We have to make sure, guys, that we do not get addicted to the ginger ale and the grilled cheese and the price is right to where we actually avoid the actual desire and that is being made well. There are people in church who are addicted to being broken because once they are well, they're not going to get that ginger ale anymore. They're going to have to make their own cereal. Now, if you are broken... We've got the ginger ale. We've got the cereal. We've got the grilled cheese. We've got, we've got that. But don't let us catch you staying there on purpose simply because you don't want to eventually be responsible for making your own cereal and getting to work. These are the complications in our minds that can make Jesus set the captives free. Not that simple. So do we need it? Do we want it? And then number three, do we believe it? Can Jesus actually set me free? I believe when it comes to belief, especially in the area of bondage and addictions and whatever else, we have two decisions. Am I going to believe what the word says no matter what I see? Or am I going to believe what I see no matter what the word says? Am I going to believe what God's word says no matter how long I've been in this condition? No matter how much evidence with science and medical that says that this is just a situation that's just going to always have to be? No matter what the evidence is telling me, no matter what the research is telling me, no matter what uh, the lady on Oprah said or the story that you have of your uncle, you know, no matter, we all have these stories of, well, you know, my uncle one time, you know, he prayed and he didn't get over that. So, we end up letting these situations and the things that we see loosen our grip on what God's word says. And I believe if you're going to believe in God's word, if you're going to walk by faith, you have to make a decision that even if I don't see it, I still believe it. Because the alternative is no matter what God's word says, I'm only going to believe what I see. And I say this because Jesus sets the captives free, but for some people, it can be a journey. And sometimes the duration of that journey can make you start to reevaluate your theology. And you'll push back and you'll grow less and less tolerant over the statement, Jesus sets captives free. You can get to the point where you'll hear that phrase and you'll actually get mad. If you get mad at the statement of Jesus sets the captives free, you need to reclaim that simplicity. You need to reclaim the simplicity of that statement. Yes, I know that that happened with my uncle. Yeah, I know that I read that book on it and it says that. Guys, we can't let the education of things. Guys, if I hear chemical imbalance one more time. No, no, please don't laugh because it's sensitive. I, I guess I said that funny. Sorry. 
I'm not saying that certain mental issues are not chemically imbalanced. But when we refer to it as if another category of power is needed, then the power that split the Red Sea and the power that raised Lazarus from the dead and the power that healed people from leprosy, we, 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 we flaunt out chemical imbalance as if that's out of bounds. And I'm not saying that it's not chemically involved, but when we begin to use what that book that we read and that knowledge that we had as a reason to push back on the statement that Jesus sets captives free, we end up stepping into unbelief and thinking that it just means that we're educated. I'm not saying that it hasn't been 40 years since we've heard, since, since that person has been, been healed of that thing. But that's why I love that we have the story of the man, the pool, the Bethesda. He had a situation for 30, I think 37, 38 years. So my point is, guys, we, 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 we end up saying these, these terms and these buzzwords as if that means, oh, oh, it's chemical, my bad. Okay, I guess you're right. Sorry I said that God can heal. I should have messed. You're right. It's like we create a separate category now. Like, this is not something that should involve God. This is not God. And I, I'm not even saying that it can't be God plus other things. Like, God uses all things. I'm not against medicine. I'm not against getting professional help. But I'm just saying I'm noticing, I'm noticing, guys, and it's subtle and it's coming in. So I want to open your eyes in case you, you're a victim of it. But I'm noticing that we're letting the research and the, the knowledge and the education on our struggles cause us to become passive about being free of those struggles. Don't let your knowledge and your understanding of your struggles make you passive towards reaching out for Jesus. I mean, we act like he's never conquered medical situations before. We act like once we start talking chemistry, it's Jesus is like, oh, that's above my pay grade. Like, that's how we act. And it's happening in the, I'm not even talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about church people. So, I got one more scripture. Are we okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 10 through 12. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Y'all, people are perishing. These people, we're even believers. We're, we're, we're perishing because... Not because Jesus can't heal us, but, but we, we've created barriers in our minds and our hearts to where, uh, again, I'm getting ahead of myself. The scripture says it. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. If you don't love the truth, you can't be saved by it. That's the tragic thing of unbelief. If you reject the truth, you can't benefit from what the truth does. That's, that's, that's what stinks about it. Like, you can't even be saved by the truth if you don't, if you reject it. Verse 11, therefore God's, okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is what happens. Therefore God sends them 
a strong delusion. Remember the delusion I talked about where you begin to actually create a reality that, that keeps you in that condition? God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Guys, pleasure in unrighteousness is not just sexual. Pleasure can be that, that grilled cheese and that ginger ale being sick. We can, we can be given over to a delusion where we learn to prefer our captive state. And the only sad thing about that is when Jesus enters the room saying, I'm coming to heal, you don't even come to the altar. It's not because he couldn't heal you, but, but you've grown to where not only have you accepted it, but you actually wear it as a badge of honor. The very thing that Jesus wants to set you free from. And I'm talking about sickness too, guys. Again, just because it's a medical illness doesn't mean, I mean, again, I don't know if we're reading, I don't know if we're not reading our Bibles or if we just are skipping those parts or the godly thing we're telling ourselves is not that simple. And I must say godly with, with sarcasm. We have to read these things and knowing that that means that God can do that with me. This woman had the issue of blood for 12 years. No physician could do anything. It was a medical situation. It involved science. And when she touched the hem of his garment, Jesus' garment, all of it was healed. Those, those stories have to count for something, guys. Let's not be a generation to where those, those, we hear those stories and we go, oh, yeah. But I've got, I've got a doctor's note saying there's, a, there's some science behind my issue, so that's not for me. No, but I've got it. No, I, I read a book. You don't understand, Alvin. I read a book. I saw, I saw a doctor talk on this. Yeah, the woman issue. No, guys, do you need it? Do you want it? Do you believe it? Need, want, belief. When it comes to deliverance, when it comes to freedom, one of my favorites, I used to hear Derek put, deliverance is for the desperate. Deliverance is for the, until you recognize a need and you need it, you want it, and you believe it, you're not going to go through the process of what I call touching Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood in the scripture, she was bleeding uncontrollably. It was going on for years. Sounds like an unfathomable suffering for years upon years. Went to every doctor she could. Nothing could happen. But she heard Jesus sets the captives free. She knew she needed something. She needed to be free of this medical condition. She wanted to be free of this. And she believed it. And the proof that she believed it was that and this is where some of us are at, guys. Sometimes you have to reach to touch Jesus. And I know he's here. I know he's living in your heart. I know all that stuff. It's true. But we cannot let the accessibility of Jesus rob us of the hunger for Jesus. The Bible says the woman had to push through. First of all, y'all, she couldn't have been feeling her best. Some of you guys, like the slightest sneeze, and you're like, I can't go to church. <laughs> this woman, 12, issue, 12 years, 
Was it 12? Pressed through a crowd of people because she had the belief that if only, even though these doctors say this, even though the books I read said this, even though the YouTube channel I watch says this, if I can just touch not even his skin, his clothes, then I will be healed. If you don't have that fight in you, if you don't have that ability to push through people, push through year after year of why this shouldn't work and why this won't work, you don't believe, that you, 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 you honestly think she didn't have thoughts, this isn't going to work. You don't think those thoughts were around after 12 years of a situation? You don't think she had those thoughts running through her mind that this is going to be a waste of time? But she let her desire for deliverance and healing to be greater than her desire for comfort, her desire to protect her pride and not being embarrassed. She let her, some of us, our fear of disappointment is greater than our, our desire for comfort. I mean, our desire for, our, for freedom. We, we feel like, I just don't want to put, put my faith out there because if it doesn't happen, I just don't, I'm not going to be able to take that disappointment. That's a real thing for some of us. We, 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 I went through this, and I tried this, and I tried this, and we think, man, if I, I don't know if I can take that disappointment. One more side note, and I'll, and I'll, 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 I'll end. But some, some of us need to stop. Some of us need to retire the phrase, I tried everything. We say it way too loosely. I tried it. Like, maybe edit it. Like, I tried everything I knew to do. I tried everything that I was aware of at the time. But, like, not, none of us have tried everything. Not everything. Maybe most things. Maybe a lot of things. I mean, guys, we got to understand, we're serving a Jesus that said, if need be, cut off your hand. We serve a Jesus that says, if need be, pluck out your eye. Now, here's the deal. I'm not saying that Jesus wants us cutting off our hand and plucking out our eye, but at least it gives us a scope for how much is, is possible to, to, to how many options there are if you really want to be free of that, if that, of that issue. A lot of us want to be free of of. of, of Addiction to porn, as long as we can keep our lives exactly the way it is. I want to be free of that addiction as long as I don't have to tell anybody about it. I want to be free of that thing as long as I don't have to change my friends. I want to be free of this thing as long as I get to keep my phone and keep my computer. And yet we say we've tried everything. We have to remember, guys, everything is a big word. I'm speaking to those who need, want, and believe that Jesus can set them free. We're in that time, guys. This is a sobering word, and I, I, I love you guys, but we're in that time of 2 Timothy. And as a pastor of this church, for myself and the rest of you guys, I do not 
the last thing we need is another church with a form of godliness, but a denial of his actual power. The last thing we need is a church with the outward fixings of believers, but in the heart is a denial that he has the power to heal us of things that the world says not only can't be healed, but doesn't need to be healed. That's what we're up against now. To where to even imply that someone needs to be set free of that, like that's where we, that's where we are. So as the church, let's not be deceived. Let's, let's protect the simplicity of the statement, Jesus sets captives free. And let's reach and press and endure and try it again. And yes, I know you prayed for six months and you didn't see change. But who says, who told you it was going to happen in six months? Maybe it happens in eight months. Maybe, maybe your deliverance is, is right on the other side of that second push or that second prayer or that, or that, that next prayer. Or that You know what I'm saying? Like there's a persistence that's needed too. I mean, there's so much I could say about this. I, 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 I want to I wrap up. I'm going to ask us all to, to stand. The good news of the gospel, guys, is that Jesus sets the captives free. And he's here to set us free. And that's the truth. Like, that's here. Like, there is deliverance and there is freedom that is here. That entire message was to the fact that we have come to a condition as a people where we're not receptive to that news. The message isn't so. I wish the message was Jesus sets the captives free. That's my message. I pretty much dedicate an entire message to the fact that before Jesus sets, sets the captives free can even be good news to you, you've got to deal with these difficulties that have made us deny the potency of that statement that he is a healer, he is a deliverer. Some of us have been really confused by everything that's being said and I wish I could say outside the church but now honestly in the church things are being said that really uh, make it difficult that's why Paul says it's going to get difficult we're in a difficult time so I, I, I want to contend for the faith I want to fight for the, for the true potent simple statement that if you have any captive areas in your life, if you are captive in any way, if there's an addiction, if there's a, if there's a defense mechanism, if there's a coping mechanism that you're not used to living without, I'm going to invite you to come. If Jesus is saying, I set the captives free, come on down, like my sister here. Come on down and let God deliver you. Let him set you free. I don't know all that's going on in your life. Only you know if this is a need. 
this is a desire, if this is a belief, some of you guys, it's been so long since you've been free in that area. You've given up on the idea that you can never, that you can never change. The Lord is visiting you today right now with this word saying, it's not too late. It's not too late for that thing to turn around. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We lay down all of our defenses. We lay down all of the things we've built to protect ourselves from disappointment. All of the things that we've built to protect ourselves from the unknown, from having to make changes in our lives. We lay these things down. And like the woman with the issue of blood, we are willing to reach out and press through all of the doubt, all of the knowledge, all of the education, all of the whatever stands in the way of the simple truth that you are a healer, you are a deliverer, you break chains. Thank you, Father. are still open. Jesus says, come to me. Some of you all still need to come. Come. Press through the people. Press through the distance. Come. Reach out and touch Jesus. Say goodbye to the captivity. Say goodbye to the fear. Say goodbye to the bondage. It's not worth it. The comfort is not worth it. It's not worth it. The comfort is not worth it. It's not worth it. The pride is not worth it. It's not worth it.
If it's financial oppression, it's for you too. Financial bondage, emotional bondage, physical bondage, sickness in your body, all of it. Mental bondage, I'm telling you, I can't stress you enough. Everything, come on. you split the sea. I think some of us need to realize the God that we're talking about split the sea. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leper. Let's go to you split the sea so I can walk right through it. Here we go. Choir for the audience. Let's go. Hey. You split the sea so I around in perfect love. You rescued me. You rescued me so I can stand and sing. I am a child of God. Where's Taylor? You split the sea. Hey! You split the sea so I can walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me. You rescued me so I can stand and sing. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child. If you're down front, lift your hands and accept that you're a child of God. I am a child of God. He's liberating you right now. I am. A child of God. He's setting you free right now. I am a child of God. Sing it a few more times until you believe I am a child. I am a child of God. Hallelujah. Last time. I am a child of God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's celebrate. I know you guys are raw emotionally. Now let me explain something to you. Those who are down here, I know you guys came down with some, some heavy, heavy burdens and it's very emotionally taxing. But there's something very powerful about praise. And when you're praising God, I don't want you guys to think on the surface and think, okay, I'm supposed to like, Flip the switch and now I'm happy. Praise is just declaring the greatness of God and letting your expression match what you believe the power of God is. If you believe the power of God is great, then make an expression that is great. That's why scriptures say shout or, or lift hands, doing things that magnify his greatness. And the Bible says that when you praise God, it lifts the spirit of heaviness and it gives you this sense of, of, of expectancy and faith and freedom and, and joy. So I wanna ask us all to give a praise, not because, not just like what you think you should do, do a praise that you believe is 
expresses how powerful God is. On the count of three. One, two, three, go! you saying, God, I know you can do it. God, I know you are more powerful. God, I know you are greater than this. I know you are stronger than this. I know you are better than this. God, I know you've called me to more than this. A little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Keep it up. Okay, guys, now, for those of you who came, I just want to say, you've got to protect the simplicity that is in Christ. Keep it simple. God, Jesus sets the captives free. Jesus has set me free. Jesus has set me free. If you have to repeat it over and over again until you go to sleep, do whatever it takes to keep the simplicity of the statement, Jesus sets me free. He has set me free. He is setting me free, and he will set me free. If you have temptations that come, it's okay because Jesus has set you free. If you have doubts that come, it's okay because Jesus sets you free. And I promise you, if you allow that phrase to be a weapon, it will be the strongest weapon than any other weapon that exists. Every time you say Jesus sets the captives free, every demon, every spirit, every doubt, every bad thought is going to have to flee from you, and you will realize that victory was yours the whole time. So go back to your seat as a free woman, as a free man, a child of God, a former slave to fear, but a child of God. Let's celebrate God for setting captives free. He sets captives free. He sets captives free. Oh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. I am a child of God. One more time. I'm no longer. sound great okay I don't want to end any service without offering salvation and when I say salvation salvation doesn't start until Jesus enters your life as Lord unless Jesus is Lord of your life I'm telling you you are not saved you're not because he's the only one who brings salvation there's no other options for salvation outside of Jesus. So we have to always make sure that we enter the entry point, which is Jesus. And then when Jesus enters your life, then he has the power to bring liberation to all the other areas of your life. So first, if you want to receive Jesus, 
I want to extend an invitation to those who are in the room who says, I've heard of Jesus. I've been around Jesus. You know, I've seen him and I've seen what he does in people's lives. I've even been touched by Jesus before, but he's, he's not Lord of my life. I have not given my life over to him yet. I still have made myself God, and I've still made myself Lord, and I want to change that and make him Lord. If that's you, repeat this prayer after me, and everybody join in. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Now say, Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for setting me free. Last time, thank you for setting me free. Let's praise God for salvation. He set people free today.